0: This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. What's up, Chad?
1: It's weekend. Uh, it's a good time. Just finished up three weeks of school, saw a movie last night, drinking coffee, so all good things. What about you?
0: <laughs> oh, all good things. Our first taste of fall weather here in New York, which has been really exciting, uh, probably, huh? unfortunately, due to the hurricane, that kind of yeah came up near us which is unfortunate but nice to have a little bit of cooler weather at the very least so a little hint towards fall
1: it is 100 degrees here today so <sighs> we did not get a taste of that that kind it was of weather like yet
0: 75 it was Oof. cold in the shade it was lovely
1: that sounds great i am excited <laughs> for when that gets here in like january
0: <laughs> oh yeah and i'll be freezing my butt off for months now that's good
1: <laughs> Well, lots to talk about this week as far as introductions before we get to the episode discussion. Let's just hit the, the small th- smaller things first. We've got emails from Lane, Logan, and Christian. We've got a couple new Apple podcast reviews from Atik- Atichi- Ataki J. I don't know how to pronounce that. Maybe one of those was correct. And Lojack Slim. So thank you for the reviews.
0: And then in really, really, really big, huge news, we hit 1 million downloads this uh, just a couple days ago two days ago maybe which Mm -hmm. holy moly guys thank you so much we uh awesome we got a lot of congrats over social media on facebook and twitter so thank you to everyone who reached out and um thanks to anyone who is ever who has ever listened to the podcast so if you're hearing this that's you thank you so much a million's a big number we don't know if we ever imagined hitting this number Uh, i know when we were discussing starting this podcast it was like oh you know we should have a decent audience since it's following one show through its entirety. Right. I don't I don't think we ever imagined this. So we are just so thankful to everyone who's listened and to everyone who supports us either over on Patreon or even just promoting on social media or just being a regular listener. We just really appreciate everyone who's uh who's helped us get here.
1: Yeah, and just please continue to share the show with others because just like The Office, the podcast We'll be around for re-listening, and the two of us will always be around on Twitter and whatnot to keep conversation going. So uh, we'd love to get new listeners even after we finish. So that's, that's how we get to it, is people who search for The Office on the podcast sites and people who spread the news about what we hope is a good, knowledgeable, fun podcast for people to listen to as a companion to the show we all love. So uh, we would love to get more listeners. A million's the start, and it's a big start, and we're so thankful for it. But there's always the future, which is awesome.
0: Well, moving on to our first episode of discussion for today, Vandalism. It aired on New Year's Eve. No, nope, no, Katie. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I need to finish this cup of coffee I'm drinking. Um, the month after New Year's Eve on January 31st, 2013. It's almost. It's it's the second New Year's Eve. Directed by Lee Kirk and written by Owen Ellickson.
1: And I wanted to point out this actually aired the same day as the last episode we talked about Junior Salesman. They both aired on the 31st for some reason.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So anyways, Pam has been hard at work painting her mural down in the warehouse and things have been going well up until now when she finds that her mural has been defaced with butts. I don't know how that works, defaced with butts. Those are opposite ends. Um, (laughs) She musters up a righteous anger and works to get to the bottom of this. Meanwhile, Angela and Robert, the Senator Lipton, host a party to celebrate Philip's birthday. And much to Angela's dismay, Oscar is invited. And Jim and Daryl are learning how to be roommates in Philadelphia.
0: Pam is finally really excited about her art. Of course, she's taken kind of a hiatus, maybe really since art school. We haven't, I mean, we've seen her sort of dabble and, and kind of do it for fun, but I don't think we've really seen her actively doing professional art uh, since, since I guess, art school. And, and I think she did a, what, a, a mural for Angela's baby's room.
1: Mm-hmm. And we just heard about that at the beginning of this season, I think.
0: Right, right. So she's kind of getting back into it for the first time in a while. And she's really excited about this. She's proud of her mural. She's not always excited about her art. But she is about this. She thinks it's really coming along. And then someone vandalizes it. And she is, of course, livid. But she feels like she's kind of on her own. Val isn't helping. Of course, it's down in the warehouse. And Val maybe saw who did it. But she's not really being a help. Andy's away. Jim's away. She kind of feels alone. And she says that. But then we see a boom mic come down and tap her on the head, which is interesting. Of course, we know who that is. And she laughs and says, well, thanks, Brian. I'm not alone, but I'm sort of alone in, in terms of people who can help me out, who can do something. So she's not alone, but she's feeling a bit isolated here. She she wants something done about this, but no one's really willing to help her.
1: It's weird how comfortable Brian has become with interacting with Pam while on the job. And I, I'm kind of introducing a tiny bit of a conspiracy theory, our, our own conspiracy theory. theory. <laughs> oh,
0: my goodness. I'm so excited. Uh,
1: future events of the episode notwithstanding. It almost gives me a bit of like fixed reality TV show vibe. Like once mm-hmm. they got that in- initial interaction between Pam and Brian, the producers maybe gave him permission to or maybe even asked him to interact with her more or maybe just gave him a longer leash as long as he doesn't directly interfere with what's going on anymore. Uh, That's sort of just like what started going through my head while watching this time, because apparently, I mean, they go eight seasons without anything like this happening, aside from just like nods from the camera or vague mentions, or I mean, the talking heads themselves or interactions with the crew, but never have we seen a boom mic drop down. Especially after when Brian comforted her just a couple episodes ago. So it's just like a, a little nugget in the back of my mind while I started watching this. I was like, are they encouraging it now? Like, what, what's going on?
0: I hate to uh, write off your conspiracy theories so soon, but I do have to disagree. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out where it was. I Has it happened yet? The bit where Brian says to Meredith, like, hey, I really got to cut back on interacting with the subjects."
1: Yeah, that was the beginning of last episode. It was right after when he comforted her.
0: Right. So unless that was like a written in thing where they're like, no, you got to pretend like you still can't. And then given the stuff that happens towards the end of this episode, although, as you said, notwithstanding directly interfering with the subjects, I don't know. I mean, it's not it's not the craziest uh, theory out there. I, I see some validity in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing with Meredith at the beginning of that episode, you could almost write that off as, I just don't want to interact with Meredith, you know? That's like, very
0: true. <laughs> he was uncomfortable.
1: I I don't know. I, and I'm not saying this is like 100% conspiracy theory. This is exactly what's happening. It's just like, you know, maybe, kind of.
0: Yeah, I, I, I see it.
1: Anyways, they eventually do find out, they meaning Dwight and Nellie, along with Pam, from Nate, who vandalized her art. Uh, It was a warehouse worker named Frank, who we haven't met before. And he won't offer a real apology or offer any kind of conversation about why he did it. And it's because they can't discipline him. So Pam then seeks revenge. Maybe not the, the best course of action. In fact, it's more like lesson teaching, really. So she paints on his truck with paint that washes off with water. She draws like a really crude drawing of him and he's like leaving a trail of poops and it's like really cartoonish dwight starts drawing stuff from her mural on his truck because it's like poetic irony he drew butts on your painting so i'm drawing your painting on the butt of his truck (laughs) and even though it washes off with water nobody tells frank that at first so he doesn't respond well
0: while I am not a fan of Frank, and I don't think anybody who watches the show is a fan of Frank, I have to say I would also freak out. This was one of my possible discussion topics, but we can talk about it now. Is what they did okay? I mean, <laughs> it is not going to harm his truck, but he doesn't know that. It'll come off with a hose. But the, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a fine line. Yeah, he's a jerk. He's, as we'll see, worse than a jerk. He's, he's harmful. But I still don't know if if what they did was kind of eye for an eye, if it's, if it's fair game.
1: Literally, the next thing in my notes was, is Pam taking things too far here? Yeah. <laughs> and even if she is, I kind of like her standing up for herself in the absence mm-hmm. of Jim. Not that she wouldn't be able to do that if Jim was here. We've seen this arc for Pam across the show where she does become more bold and uh, more willing to share her thoughts and feelings on the situations around her and how people treat her. But, you know, at the same time... Frank, at no point during this, seemed like a stable person. When inquired about it, he said he drew butts on her mural because butts are funny. Do you have a stick up yours? It's like, does this sound like a mature adult? No, I'm not surprised he reacted the way he did. Really, Pam shouldn't have been either. She's not dumb, but I mean, it's her art. She was, like I said earlier, in a sort of righteous rage and in, in a mood to teach somebody a lesson. And so, yeah, I I don't blame her for reacting out of revenge, but it it definitely should have occurred to her that this wouldn't have gone well.
0: We also see a ill-formed, if nice, friendship. I mean, of course, Dwight and Pam have always had a friendship, but we haven't seen it in a while. Um, Well, I say always. They haven't always had a friendship, but you know, (laughs) you know what I mean. Right. We get to see them hanging out a little bit in this episode, which there's this great line, eye for an eye, Mama Cita from Dwight, because uh, he, <laughs> he likes hanging out with her. He says he enjoys hanging out with a vengeful bee, <laughs> which Pam doesn't necessarily take as an insult. She's like, yeah, I'm standing up for myself. And, and it's sort of a bonding moment, even though he's using, you know, not flattering language towards her. It's okay. It's just, an, it's it's a great relationship that they're they're kind of forming, even if it was ill-formed and possibly inappropriate what they did to the truck. But they learned that the hard way. Um, Frank comes out and starts screaming at at them. He tells her that someone needs to shut her up, and he starts to run at her to charge her. Brian here now steps over the line. The boom op, he steps out and defends Pam. He steps over the line, I say, for his job, not in terms of being a decent person. He saw, you know, a woman about to get Beaten up, and he stepped in and defended her, which is appropriate. And they're friends, and I think that that's great that he did that. But his employer has since or has previously said, at least hypothetically, you need to stop (laughs) your involvement with the subjects. You need to like stay out of interacting with them on the air. And he gets fired over this, which I don't know. I mean, I guess he needs to be fired because clearly he has feelings friendship feelings at the very least for pam and that interferes with the authenticity of the documentary he's now biased Mm -hmm. towards the subject
1: yeah it's like a conflict of interest almost right
0: right so i guess i get it he does need to be fired for this even though he was doing the right thing
1: and pam offers to speak to the producers on his behalf you know try and keep him from losing his job but he says i knew what i was doing and this is a big thing I don't want to put myself where I don't belong, but if you ever need me, just call me and I'll be there. And so, is this him saying, I'll be there for you like Jim isn't right now? Or is it an innocent offer between friends to be friends to each other? Like, what are your thoughts on that?
0: It's definitely a charged moment. They're alone. We do know that he has an Alyssa, whoever that is, probably a spouse. I can go ahead and say it it's not a crazy spoiler it is a spouse he's married <laughs> although that hasn't stopped people in the past <laughs> so i don't know if that's you know going to deter them but it does seem charged they were innocent words but pam definitely noticed the moment as well she has this reaction after he, he says that and he leaves the room and she kind of pauses like he said something very intentionally he didn't say anything outright inappropriate and he didn't ask her out. He didn't, he didn't say that he has feelings for her, but I feel like the intention was there.
1: I don't even know if I have a real answer to this. I, I, I agree with you. I think he said that knowing that Pam was going to read into it, what she would, mm-hmm. whatever that means.
0: Yeah. Cause he's not putting himself out there. He's just, yeah, this is what I, yeah.
1: And, and I think he, I mean, we saw that moment at the end of the last episode Uh, where Jim was talking about, yeah, it matters who sits next to Pam because I sat next to Pam and fell in love with her because I did. And while he was saying that, we caught a glimpse of Brian just sort of, I don't want to say lovingly staring at Pam, but he had a smile on his face. He was clearly enjoying being around her. Whatever his intent was, then some words. And uh, (laughs) uh, we'll see what happens from here. So now other stuff that's happening in this episode, Angela shows up to work and she's Flaunting her little black dress. She says, Oh, I'm going to need to leave early for work today because it's Philip's first birthday and we're hosting a party at my house. But, oh, but no, there won't be kids there because our furniture is sharp and it's not kid friendly. And also, ew. <laughs> and it'll be mostly campaign doters and none of you could really make the cut. And then Oscar has to go and reign on her parade by saying, uh, Just so you know, you're going to find out eventually anyway. So I'll tell you now. Robert invited me to be there because he wants me to support him. And she's like, what? I'm I'm his husband. Like, what, what? why does he need your support? And so I still feel so badly for her because she's trying the best she can as the wife of a public politician to be the wife that he claims her to be. But here he is inviting his gay Latino lover to his son's birthday party where so many of his donors will be in attendance. It's just... She is in such a strange situation here, and I don't envy it.
0: Yeah, regarding Robert inviting Oscar, I just put, whoa, bold. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Way to put everyone in an uncomfortable position. Angela is already in a very uncomfortable position because she has to maintain the, as Oscar puts it, the, you know, pretty blonde wife. And she has to play that role for Robert, and she knows about Oscar, so that's, that's a tough position for her. Oscar. His boyfriend is married to someone else who he works with. So he's in a weird position. Robert's, it's all very bad.
1: I can't believe that this is still going on just so openly. And, you know, I definitely blame Oscar in this situation. I don't want it to sound like I'm taking it easy on him or saying that this isn't all his fault. But in a certain context, I think that Oscar is a victim here as well. And this actually comes out to play in the rest of the episode. Robert is the one who openly pursued Oscar while being married to Angela. Yeah, And it's now Robert who is not only continuing his affair with his wife's knowledge, but then he's also using Oscar for political gain. There's a moment at the party where he says, you know, he's talking about being friends with Oscar. He says, you know, I suppose that may ruffle a few feathers because most of the people here are old white people. He says, for a long time, our party has turned its back on the Hispanic people. Well, that is not who I am. And he sort of puts his arm around Oscar. I am a friend of the Latino community. And if you ask me, it's time we bid bigotry hasta luego. He says, now, does my embrace of Hispanics make me more electable given demographic trends? I don't know. Yes, it does. And I don't care. <laughs> what I care about is Oscar. And so, I mean, he's so pandering. Yeah.
0: Mi amigo, Oscar.
1: Yeah. yeah, He's so using Oscar for his own gain. And Oscar recognizes that. Oscar's not a dummy. He says, maybe I should be insulted that he only invited me here to be his token Mexican friend. But he could have invited any number of Hispanics that he knows. And so he names his gardener Rogelio, or he could have invited him Rogelio. But he chose me. And then he realizes, oh, Rogelio is Malaysian. So he's, he's pissed off, too, because... It's so obvious what the senator is doing in the situation.
0: And we see that it's not just Oscar. Uh, During the photo op, the PR guy puts all the people of color, whether they're invited guests or servers or disabled elderly women, anybody who is a minority, he just shoves them as close to the senator as he possibly can. Oh, and the server, by the way, who's an African-American guy named Sean, the PR guy calls him LaShawn. And puts him close to Robert, and it's just very—it's uh, uncomfortable, and it's it's inappropriate. And Robert has now made everyone feel like garbage. Everyone, and everyone notices this too. So Kevin, for the <sighs> win, best the best guy. moment ever, best probably my favorite Kevin moment in the show, maybe.
1: Yeah, at least as far as non-comedy moments go, because there's some pretty high comedy moments. But like, character stuff.
0: Character, this takes the cake.
1: This is right up there with, uh, sometimes you just need a win, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love this.
0: On his way out of the party, he shakes the senator's hand. He says, oh, yeah, thanks for the food. Oh, and also, you suck. You are like a terrible person. These guys, being Angela and Oscar, these guys care about you, and you're just using them. Again, the food was very good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's at at one time it's both comedic and just beautiful. Yes, and Oscar and Angela look quite pleased. I feel like this is sort of a bonding moment for them because they both don't like Robert at this point. They both feel used. Angela's feeling used too because she's she's being used not as much as Oscar, but in a similar manner. She's the supporting doting mother and wife that's that's her role and oscar has a role and everybody has a role to help out robert and uh he's just making them do this
1: yeah and this kevin moment comes right after uh everybody's left and oscar and angela step out and robert says well are you too proud of yourselves are you too happy with what you've done because they were bickering a little bit because robert has put them in this situation where they're in open conflict with each other they can't really help it and instead of him apologizing for anything that happened, they both apologize because because Robert used them in and put them in that situation. so right after they give this apology that they didn't need to give, Kevin points out the the bigot, well not the the hypocrisy maybe I don't know what the right word is here, but he he points out just how awful a person Robert is being it's it's awesome. I I was simultaneously, like, tearing up and fist-pumping. It it was so great. And it it boosts accounting as a family, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And then the last character bit, we have Jim and Daryl. So they are rooming together while working in Philly. And uh, Daryl is clean and organized, and he has his stuff together. He labels his stuff, his food, much to the annoyance of Jim, who is a total slob. He uses T-shirts, his wash rags, and he leaves clothes all over the living room, and... Daryl is too uptight for Jim, and Jim's too much of a slob, and they're just grating on each other's nerves. They haven't had roommates. I I assume Daryl hasn't had proper roommates in a while, and Jim's married, so that's different. They're just living in too close of quarters, and Jim starts making the mistake of uh, taking Daryl's labeled thermos, and they've got a very tense moment about calling out each other's flaws. They're not shy at all about uh, pointing out their differences, which leads to some tension.
1: Yeah, that, that really tense, aggressive moment happens. Daryl points out that Jim is using his thermos that is clearly labeled. It does have his name on it. And Jim's like totally passive aggressive. And he walks over to the trash can, just turns it upside down and pours out the whole thing. Oh, no problem. I'll just give this right back to you. And after it's empty, after they've stood there for like 10 seconds, waiting on it to empty in complete silence, uh, he says, oh, do you want me to wash it too? And Daryl says, well, are you going to wash it? Or are you going to let it soak? <laughs> like, <laughs> come calm, calm down, guys. You're friends. And uh, Jim just like shoves it into Daryl's hand. I mean, the thing is, these guys are a great team. And there's a moment in the episode where it's like, yeah, you guys are working well together. You're really kicking ass at this job. It's really going well for you. And they've always been good friends. I, I don't think there's really anything deeper here than they're just adjusting to spending more time together. But it still sucks to see them in conflict with each other in such a way.
0: I think it's just normal roommate annoyances that's just taken to the next level because they say you often shouldn't live with some of your very best friends and these guys are very close friends so i think it's i think that's all it is but it is uncomfortable and it is unfortunate but at the end of the day they're still friends jim has a talking head he says wow this whole filling thing has been so much fun that i may have lost sight of what really matters having fun is not nearly as important as being good to the people who really care about you that's just roommates 101 so he clears up the living room puts away his stuff. And in a goodwill gesture, Daryl throws an empty can onto the ground. Like, <laughs> all right, if you can clean up, I can feel, al- I can loosen up a little bit. So yeah. they they meet in the middle.
1: Yeah. And I love, there's a moment a little bit earlier in the episode where Daryl and Pam are talking on the phone. He asks, hey, while well, I got you on the phone, your husband's like a sloppy homeless hobo. Can you fix that? He says, yeah, I was kind of hoping you could. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which this calls way back to before they were married and they were, ta- they were discussing moving in together. And Pam says, oh, I don't, I'm not going to move in with somebody unless I'm engaged. And maybe I'm getting the timeline a little bit mixed up, but it is before they're married. And, and she says, oh, well, you know, you're a little bit of a slob. And he says, oh, you're a little bit of a slob too. So apparently this is a, a habit of Jim's that's been <laughs> fairly long going.
1: Yeah. Well, getting into funny moments, we have a pure, wonderful, cold, open Aaron is helping Daryl be, quote, sneaky sneaks, secretly whisking away to Philadelphia. She does jumping jacks for the office to distract them while Daryl leaves. She fakes conference room meetings and conversations with him in his office. She brings in a giant stuffed barrel that she has named that <laughs> She spent a ton on tickets to win at the carnival. She has a talking head. She says nobody knows it yet, but Daryl already started working in Philly. So now he has to sneak out of here like the sneakiest little sneaky sneaky you ever saw. And I'm his helper. It's so fun. And Daryl is the good sport. He He's the good we need in the world. He says in his own talking head, everybody knows I go to Philly. I've just been using sick days I saved up. But Aaron was so excited about being sneaky sneaks. I went along with it. And I love <laughs> that he calls it the same thing she does. And he's just like going along with it and letting her have fun with it. It's so great.
0: I, I, it's it's a great, as you said, a pure cold open. Mm. Aaron's talking head at the beginning of it. She says, yeah, Daryl's here so is Santa Claus. It's just a regular Thursday. And she kind (laughs) of looks around. She says, neither guy is here and it's Friday. Welcome to me and Daryl's world of lies. (laughs) She's just so excited to help him do this. (laughs) Pam, in the conference room when she's sort of rallying the troops to uh, sort out this whole defacing of her mural, she says, I have terrible news. Someone defaced my mural. They painted all over it. And uh, Aaron doesn't understand. She says, well, I thought you were painting all over it. Pam says, yeah, this is different. Aaron says, oh, so they, they used worse paint than your paint? No, I, I. they they put paint where I didn't want paint. And Aaron is just flustered. I, I thought you wanted to paint the whole thing. <laughs> different colored paint, Aaron. I wanted different colored paint in the spots where they put their paint. And Aaron's shaking her head like, I, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> I thought you were going to paint all of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are butts on the wall, Aaron. <laughs>
1: uh in that same conference room meeting it ends and everybody has sort of written this off and dwight says pam i'll help you she says you will he says if there's anything i hate worse than art it's crime she says thank you (laughs) nelly nelly steps in and says i am into pam she says yeah nelly says yes of course i believe in you i believe in your art And I am bored. (laughs) So Pam has a follow-up talking head. She says, I was hoping for a righteous mob, and I ended up with Dwight and Nellie. But they both have a mob mentality, and I'm pretty sure Dwight has a pitchfork in his car. And all of a sudden, Dwight enters into the conference room. You need my pitchfork?
0: (laughs) So as you touched on earlier, Nate is the one who they decide to grill to get this information about who the vandal was. They decide that he's the weakest link. But Dwight says, well, we need a pretense to talk to him. We could tell him that his mother is dying. That usually works on him. And so Dwight just whips out his cell phone and says, Nate, your mother is dying. (laughs) He just, like, collapses. And he just falls on his knees and, just like, buries his head in his hands. (laughs) Pam says, oh, see, I I feel bad about that. (laughs) And then um, right after that, we see them in Val's office. And Nate just says, so she's going to pull through again. That's great. Can I talk to her? And Dwight says, no, she needs her rest again.
1: (laughs) How many times does he use this? Oh, that's so awful.
0: Oh, his his collapse (laughs) was just, oh, baby. (laughs) Heartbreaking. (laughs) Oh.
1: We also, just on the subject of Nate, we get one of Nate's most memorable quotes. Oh, it's it's right after this moment. Nellie says, now listen, now that we've got you in here, let's talk about this mural business. Dwight says, you know who the vandal is. Now I know a lot of these warehouse guys are your friends, but we've got chewing gum. And Nate speaks up. He says, gum's gotten mintier lately. Have you <laughs> noticed? Like, some of it's just too minty. Like, it's like they're literally trying to hurt. Him. And then Pam interrupts. Tell us who to face the mural. And Nate just points to Frank. That's how it is. And Pam says, all right, you can go. Give him his gum. Dwight says, there's no gum. There was never any gum. Hurting Nate again. Nate says, that's really rude. He's just too pure of a soul for tricks like this. Too much. can't
0: handle it. I think we nailed it when we decided that Nate basically talks like a valley girl. Yeah. (laughs) They're literally trying to hurt your mouth. (laughs) He ends on the upswing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's perfect.
0: Dwight, after Pam wants to take Frank down, Dwight has a talking head. He says, normally I find Pam to be a comforting, if unarousing presence around the office, like a well-watered fern. Okay. But today, she has tapped into this vengeful, violent side. And I'm like, wow, Pam has kind of a good butt. (laughs) (laughs) That tells us something about the kind of woman he likes.
1: Yeah. So later, they are trying to figure out what it is that Frank loves so that they can do something to it like he did to Pam's mural. This is before they find out it's the truck. And Dwight comes up with the idea of putting in a spy. And so who's he going to put in as a spy? Clark. And so they have dressed him in warehouse gear and they're dragging him down to the outside entrance. uh, And Dwight is putting on this act. He says, I never want to see you working in the upstairs office again. Do you hear me? And Clark says, well, my only crime was loving the local sports teams and trying to be one of the guys. And as he's saying that, Dwight is mouthing along like he always does whenever (laughs) he writes a script for somebody. And Dwight says, silence. You'll now be working in the warehouse with the untouchables. Now go make your hands rough with work. Clark says, okay, boss. And then he whispers to Pam, Pam, you know, this is ridiculous, right? Like you're smarter than this. And Pam just shushes him. Clark says, this is never going to work. Pam says, shh, remember your lines. Clark says, what lines? <laughs> and Jai just says, go move some paper. And then slightly later. So, and this is something I don't think I'd ever noticed before. Pam has called Daryl and found the information they need about Frank without Clark's help. And then the camera, as they're leaving, pans to Clark and he's shirtless and he's duct taped to a chair. And it says, spy, written on his chest. And actually, in this shot, it says, spy, you'll pay for this, written on his chest. And so there's a deleted scene where this all makes a little bit more sense.
0: Yeah. And then maybe my last one is uh, back in the conference room that Pam has called rallying the troops. Pam says, okay, the point is, these warehouse guys are vandals. They need to be stopped. Meredith agrees. She said, yeah, somebody had the balls to put my phone number on the men's room wall which is so messed up. It's 6782, not 83. Wrong reason, but that's fine. Uh, Creed <laughs> says, oh, well, 6783 is also a good time. Less mileage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious as to whether her name was on her phone number and whether Creed was trying to get to Meredith. I, d- I don't know.
1: <laughs> or he, just, he makes a habit of calling numbers that just are on bathroom walls.
0: Random numbers, yeah.
1: <laughs> and worth pointing out, We've got this little game going on this season. Um, Meredith's wig is like a super like 80s kind of style. It's like, I don't know how to describe it. Do you have better words than I do? <sighs>
0: this is the blonde one, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's not. Th- there's the long wavy blonde one in the next episode. Oh. This one, it's like 80s. I-, I don't know. It's almost like news reporter kind of thing where it's like razzed up in the front. And, oh, I don't yeah. Know. It's like teased yeah.
0: up in the front. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's almost mullet like, but a little yeah, bit more professional. Bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a good look.
1: No. Angela had originally called Robert after she found out that he had invited Oscar, saying, I don't want him there. We agreed that you wouldn't be seen in public together. And if you're going to invite your uh, lover, basically, then I'm going to invite a stud of my own. And so she tries to invite Dwight and Dwight's not into it. Uh, She tries to tempt him by saying the state transportation secretary will be there. You could sell your beet salt idea to the highway people. Dwight responds and says, if I get the de-icing gig, it's going to be on merit, not because I played politics. And so he turns her down. Then Kevin speaks up and says, hey, so a little birdie just told me, or I was eavesdropping, that Dwight can't come to your son's birthday. So do you want me to go with you? Angela says, no. Kevin says, okay, I understand. I'll just stay here then, alone with the money. Angela says, Aw, crap. (laughs) So Kevin gets invited along as well. And that's how he gets his wonderful moment later.
0: Which is very um, self-aware of Kevin to know that, well, Angela won't want me here alone as the only accountant. (laughs) So I can play that card and get myself an invite.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So how about deleted scenes?
0: Yeah, so we've got uh, more cold open bits of Aaron covering for Daryl. Her giving him full-color printouts for this business. It's for Dunder Mifflin. It's for this business. And and Daryl tells her when he's going to the bathroom and uh, there's an Aaron talking head. She says, normally I don't do shady stuff, but seeing as Andy's been gone for three months and Clark took a sex vacation, I can cut loose.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how her attitude about people using the full color printer for non-Dunder Mifflin things is different when she actually likes the person doing it. She really hated it when it was Ryan using it for woof.
0: That's a good point. I didn't think about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: She didn't care for him.
1: Pam is getting out of her car at work, and she's on the phone with Jim, and he says, oh, I have to work Saturday and Sunday. He says, maybe you could come up here. I can get us into the Sixers practice facility. We get CC working on her dunks. Maybe see you guys for dinner. Pam says, yeah, I was, I was kind of hoping to be working on my mural this weekend. I want to get it finished so I can start working on the other one, which is the one for the Irish American Cultural Center that she got during the ballet recital that she missed. And he says, blow it off. I haven't seen you guys in days. She says, you blow it off. (laughs) He says, Pam, I'm not saying the murals aren't important. And she interrupts, but he says, nothing. I'm just not saying they're not important. (laughs) And she says, "Okay, good, because it kind of sounded like you were going to say that murals are important, but aren't as important as something else. He says, I certainly did not say that. Only a fool would say that. (laughs) He says, yes, only a fool would. Good save, Halpert. And just in case it wasn't communicated clearly through my read-through of that, that conversation, it was relatively playful. I, I don't want it to sound like it was heated or like it was an argument. Uh, they, they, it's just like banter back and forth. They're trying to figure out their weekend, and Jim is still working a whole heck of a lot in Philadelphia. He says it's been a few days since I've seen you.
0: Yeah, I put that they were in decent humor about it, but you can mm-hmm. tell that it was about a topic that they had been tense about, so they were kind yeah, of walking yeah. on eggshells, but they were being good, they were being friendly, but they were being careful. Right. Pam asks Val to be more active about finding the vandal. And Pam says that this was a hate crime. I'm, I do not like this deleted scene. Uh, <laughs> Val yeah. disagrees. She says this was not a hate crime. And Pam does the most un-Pam-like thing. A horrible imitation of Hide and his accent. Uh, and it's pretty offensive. And Val notices how hateful this is. And she points out that, hey, Hide's out of town. He couldn't have done this. And Pam regrets the imitation that she did.
1: It's all kinds of Michael Scott up in here Yeah, because uh, Michael is the one who said it was back in the carpet when he says this was a hate crime mm-hmm. and Stanley says that's not what a hate crime is. And Michael says, well, I hated it a lot. So <laughs> there's Pam imitating Michael there and then imitating an Asian accent. That's totally Michael, too. So yep. maybe or probably definitely unintentional on her part, but not her finest moment and definitely a good one for the cutting room floor. Daryl and Jim both have talking heads. Daryl says, messy is one thing, but now he's screwing with my stuff. You see that? And he holds up his thermos that Jim borrowed. He says, that's peanut butter. He got peanut butter on my thermos. You don't do that. You don't go and do that. And Jim then as his talking head. He says, roommates share stuff. It's not a big deal. He can have my groceries when I get some. And I will. (laughs) So they're not sharing equal weight as far as groceries go, I guess. Um, Come on, Jim.
0: When Pam learns that it was Frank who vandalized the mural, she says she's not surprised. He's a thug. She saw him spit in the alley one time, so he's Mm -hmm. a thug. And Dwight is disappointed to learn that, initially anyway, all Pam wants from Frank is an apology. Not physical harm, no threats. He says, come on, what am I going to do with all this unspent wrath? And he just (sighs) picks up a small stuffed moose and tosses it on the ground like, (laughs) I need to have an outlet.
1: (laughs) uh toby is talking in the conference room alone with frank while pam and nelly watch from outside the conference room i think this would probably take place after the three of them interrogating mm-hmm. frank earlier in the episode and toby says so this is technically an hr issue and i'm supposed to chew you out definitely not going to do that but i am kind of jockeying that girl over there nelly and he says so i'd love it if we could pretend i'm being tough and frank turns around and looks at Nellie and pam and turns back around and he says, you're pathetic. Toby says, all right, all right. But this behavior of yours that I am saying things to address. And he's like gesticulating and he has a tough face on. And we focus on Pam and Nellie in the background. And Pam says, Toby's really going at him. Nelly says, he's tearing strips off him. It's great. Who knew? And we come back to Toby. He says, I have this look on my face. Okay. It's very serious. Being tough. And I really, really appreciate what you're doing. And like I said, he's like pointing his finger and just trying to put on the show. Frank says, you are the largest vagina I've ever seen in my life. And Toby takes his glasses off and says, OK, I'll let that one go with the warning and put my glasses back on now. And I think it's working. So I owe you one. You can go. And he points out the door, like, get out of here kind of thing. And he says, anytime you want convenient to you to get out of here then do that if that's what you want. <laughs> so it's just like Toby is putting on this ridiculous act and he thinks that Frank is sort of doing him a solid, I guess. I guess he's oblivious to the fact that Frank just thinks he's pathetic and a moron even though he basically he, he tells him that.
0: I think he's just so scared of him.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably.
0: Uh this one's really small. At the party, Robert introduces Oscar to several other people and uh sends Angela upstairs to go check on their son. So Angela's not worth introducing, but Oscar is. Go check on the kid, Angela.
1: Yeah, the kid whose birthday party it is, but is not even present downstairs.
0: Or awake, probably.
1: <laughs> We're in the bullpen, and we hear Phyllis shouting for Dwight from outside Dunder Mifflin. And Dwight and Pam both run out, and they find Phyllis holding the elevator, and Clark is wrapped in the duct tape. And in this deleted scene, he only has Spy written on his chest. Clark says, I think they're on to me. Real sarcastic. And Dwight says, first, you deface your property. Now they deface mine. They'll pay for this. And so he takes out a marker and he marks out spy and starts writing his own thing on Clark's chest, leaving him taped there and immobilized. Phyllis says, hey, are you okay? Clark says, yeah, I'm fine. They were just blowing off some steam and we've all had our laugh. Let's just untie me and get back to work. Okay. And he looks down at Dwight. What are you writing? And Dwight has written, you'll pay for this. So the shot we saw of Clark duct tape uh, in the episode technically took place after this deleted scene, which we don't see. And Dwight asks, is this legible? And Pam says, yep. Clark says, you're sitting me back down there. Pam, Pam, I'm asking you because you are a normal, smart, reasonable person. Let's just end this. And Pam pauses before saying, do it. <laughs> and Dwight pushes the button to send him down. And as the doors are closing, Clark shouts, Pam, come on. You're better than you. You're somebody's mother. You're better than this, Pam. <laughs> and I mean, the elevator doesn't go all the way down to the warehouse, does it? I don't think so. I I think it goes down to the first floor, and then I think you have to take stairs. To I don't know. Maybe not, but I I just have this picture in my head of Clark waiting in the lobby on the first floor, still in the elevator, and I I don't know. It's strange.
0: Yeah, I I misunderstood your question. It it doesn't go... uh, I I don't think I've seen an elevator door down there, no. (laughs) Somebody's got to come get him. Yeah. Another small one at the party. Kevin drops some sauce on the white sofa at the Lipton's house, and my first thought was, "Man, Angela's right. This house is not kid friendly because you would not want a white sofa with an <laughs> infant or a toddler or a kid or a Kevin or a Kevin." <laughs> which, yeah, synonymous. And he uses his chicken to wipe up the sauce because you you miss some sauce, so you got to get it. Well, he doesn't look terribly do? concerned about the uh, about the
1: stain. We get another deleted scene that I'm glad they cut. Uh, they're an athlete, and Jim and Dwight are meeting with a couple other co-workers, and they're talking business, and the camera goes to Jim, and he's holding a normal mug with a strip of masking tape on it, and he's written his name. And Daryl's looking kind of unhappy sitting next to him, and after they finish talking business, one of the coworkers says, hey, Jim, what's up with the mug? He says, oh, sorry about that. I just put my name on it. I wanted people to know it's mine. Is that weird to put my name on stuff? Daryl just sort of sighs and he says, Okay, I see what you're doing. Apparently, it's weird to not want to live like an animal. Jim responds, I don't know who lives like an animal, so you might want to calm down. Daryl says, Maybe I could have learned about calming down from stress expert Dr. Herbert Benson, who was just on Tavis Smiley, which refers to a program that Daryl had recorded that Jim deleted. And Jim says, What network is that on? PBS. Who watches that? Smart people. And so Jim says, That's okay. I think you're getting a little aggressive, maybe. And Daryl says, Oh, you're sloppy. I'm sloppy. You're sloppy with your laundry. You're sloppy with your boundaries. You're sloppy with your TiVo. Jim just says, Thanks, Dad. And Daryl says, Filthy. He says, I'm not filthy. I shower every day. And Daryl says, You're supposed to. (laughs) And the camera just looks around and everyone's uncomfortable because they've sort of been having this argument with everyone, even though it's just theirs like I said, I'm just so glad this was cut. It's a little too aggressive, even if they do resolve their differences by the end of the episode. It, it just gets a little too heated for me.
0: But fortunately, the next somewhat attached deleted scene is, is pretty funny, but it wouldn't have made sense without the one you just said. Next, we see Daryl and Jim on the phone with Toby, who is thrilled that they've come to him uh, for help with their dispute, which surprises me at all that they did. Toby asks them to come up with two lists, 12 things that they like about the other person and 12 things that they dislike about the other person. And while he's explaining the rules about this, Daryl mutes Toby and he says to Jim, this is a mistake. (laughs) We shouldn't have called him. Jim admits that, yep, Toby was such an asset in my head, but I don't know where that idea came from. And after listening to him for just a couple more seconds, they've had enough and Jim apologizes and promises to get a hamper and... Daryl apologizes too and promises to get his own TiVo, and they walk away and they just leave Toby muted on the line, like talking away. <laughs> Again, I like this one, but it wouldn't have made sense without the first one.
1: It's funny. I couldn't. I at first identify who they were talking to. I had to listen a couple of times and I was like, is that, is that Toby? Because he just sounds too enthusiastic. He's too excited about being asked to help with this situation. And I didn't recognize it as him at first because he sounds almost emboldened. He's, he's not, he's not talking like Toby like this. He, 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 he sounds a little bit more like a normal person.
0: <laughs> I, I recognized him at first, but I recognized it as like, he loves when he gets to use his HR skills. I think he mm-hmm. loves being a mediator and uh he so he so rarely gets to deal with actual disputes i feel like uh although today he's been put to use quite a bit yeah <laughs> i think he just really i don't know enjoyed getting to help his friends be better friends
1: the last deleted scene we got kevin has a talking head that goes right after his moment where he tells robert he sucks he says i've sat next to oscar and angela for 14 years they're my people if you just go by distance they're my best friends i don't know why you go by distance though i guess and he just sort of laughs And then it cuts to the three of them in the car. I don't know if they drove there, the three of them. That sounds like it would be really tense, but maybe not. And Kevin's sitting in the backseat, continuing to eat, which is what he did the whole party anyways. And he's got this large to-go platter. He says, thanks for getting me all this stuff, Ange. She says, we had way too many appetizers anyway. I don't know who did the ordering. How hard is it to buy for 40? I'd imagine kind of hard, but uh, Oscar says, some people are just terrible at math. She says, it's embarrassing. He says, it is. Kevin from the backseat says, totally. And that, that's the, that's it. It's a pretty calm moment.
0: They kind of bond over other people being bad at their jobs, <laughs> and they needed a little bit of reprieve after after their tense day. So, for my discussion topic, uh, why do you think Angela and the senator are still together? Oscar says that Robert needs Angela for the politics and for the appearances, but why does she need him at this point?
1: I think that Angela is embarrassed that her karma has caught up to her she cheated on andy and turnabout's fair play and also the fact that she as a christian who has a husband who cheated on her with another man and knowing how devout she is and or supposedly is and how opinionated she is regarding that kind of stuff uh, it just adds another level of embarrassment and humiliation to the whole situation so that's that's my main thought
0: i, I would tend to agree with you and that they have a kid
1: and yeah, that's true, too. that's
0: expensive and time-consuming, and if he's not a good husband, at least he's a financial help, and uh, I don't think he's doing a lot of childcare, but at the very least a financial help and some source of stability. Mm-hmm.
1: And the fact that this is still a private situation and not everybody knows about it, that that helps to maintain the illusion to everybody else as well.
0: Right, and she's all about keeping up appearances, so... Yeah.
1: Yes. Splitting up. Splitting up would necessitate a reason for splitting up.
0: Mm-hmm. And she's not going to admit that that's a thing.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Going into our next episode, we are talking about Couples Discount. It aired on February seventh of two thousand thirteen. It was directed by Troy Miller and written by Allison Silverman.
0: So Andy comes back from his trip, his three month trip tomorrow. So the office decides to have one. Last, fun, bossless day. And they head to the nail salon to get discounted services. It's Valentine's Day. But the Valentine's Day discount only applies to couples, so everyone pairs off. But while they're away, Andy comes back early uh, to an almost entirely empty office. And Jim and Pam have a Valentine's Day lunch with Brian.
1: It is Valentine's Day, and Jim was able to ask to switch days. He works this week so that he could spend it with Pam. So nice that he went through that. But... He does have to work an extra day next week. So you win some, you lose some, they won't be totally alone, at least not for lunch. As you mentioned, Pam reserved a table for the two of them at state street grill, along with Brian, the former Mike guy and his wife, Alyssa. Uh, And it's sort of just like a thank you lunch opportunity. And Jim in a talking head confirmed some stuff that really only got hinted at before, like the fact that Jim and Pam had gotten close to Brian and Alyssa over the years. that's not something you you say about a casual friend. You don't say, oh, we're close or we got close. These are clearly important people in their lives in some capacity. So that's a little bit more insight into this relationship that these people have with each other. And there's a really small moment that I wanted to point out as they are walking up to the restaurant, because I think it says a lot about Jim and Pam at this moment in time in the show. As they're walking up to the restaurant, Jim is looking down at his phone and he sort of sighs. It's probably work-related stuff. And Pam reaches out and like fumbles for his hand. And it takes him a small moment to reciprocate. And he turns to Pam like with a smile like, oh, of, of course we should be holding hands. It's Valentine's Day. But what it is is Pam had her thoughts on him. Jim's were clearly elsewhere. And there's a small moment right after that where Jim and Pam find Brian in the restaurant and they're sitting down, and Brian raises his eyebrows and acknowledges the camera crew because obviously they're his former co workers. So, two moments right next to each other that there's no dialogue to say anything about in those moments, but all the physical things say a whole lot.
0: So, they meet Brian at the restaurant and it's just Brian, and they ask, Where's Alyssa? But he says, Oh, Alyssa can't make it. Actually, we're not going to make it. We're splitting up. And Jim and Pam are shocked. I mean, as you said, they are close friends. It sounds like they socialize together quite a bit as two couples and as sort of married friends. And so he starts to go into his breakup and he starts to cry. And he jokes with Pam that they've got to stop seeing each other like this, that this is happening too frequently, but that at least his crying won't get her fired. And This makes Jim very confused because he doesn't know about this. He doesn't know about when Brian comforted Pam. When was Pam crying and why did Brian see it? And why did he react to it? You know, he's behind the camera. On the way back to the office, Pam asks Jim why he's mad at her. And he tells her that, you know, that was all really weird. She told Jim that Brian got fired for the whole warehouse thing and that she intentionally left out a big, major, intimate detail about The two of them being alone and being vulnerable and twice he had interfered with the documentary to comfort or to protect pam he says he feels kind of like a chump and that he probably has no right to be mad but he is but he also wasn't there so let's just move past it and it's tense but he knows that you know i trust you but i just feel uncomfortable with this whole situation
1: the the not telling each other everything and the not being honest and not sharing their feelings, all that stuff we've, that we've talked about these last few episodes, that's totally catching up to them now. And the let's just forget about it. That's definitely going to help things more hiding, more pushing away our feelings. Excellent. Good stuff, guys. Yeah. Um and not to lend a whole lot of humor to this situation, but just going back to my theory, uh, <laughs> maybe there's some weight to it if the camera crew or the producers knew that Brian was now single and emotionally vulnerable like again i'm not this isn't like an actual theory I have. it's just fun to posit in my head
0: yeah devil's advocate
1: yeah i mean the 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 fact that this has gone far from being a documentary about a workplace and more to a character study into the people that work at said workplace. I just think, you know, maybe, I mean, this is going to broadcast eventually. And so why not add some drama to the situation?
0: Yeah. If this was a like reality TV show thing, that would be a huge, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, they would exploit that hard. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I see what you mean.
1: Yeah. And the fact that they're still following along with Brian, even though he's not part of their crew anymore, but they're following Jim and Pam and meeting with Brian and all these kind of things. It I don't know. It's just, again, it's in the back of my head. Right, uh, But getting back on track, to top things off, at the end of the day, they had planned, because they weren't able to spend lunch alone together, they were going to get a bottle of wine and celebrate Valentine's Day together at home. And while they're about to leave, Jim says, you know what? How about we cancel that bottle of wine we had planned to celebrate with, and you just drop me off at the bus station, because I have stuff to do, and you probably have stuff to do, and I just feel like we're going to fight. so." How about we don't? And it's definitely echoing what Brian said about him and Alyssa during lunch. He said, while we were fighting, it felt like the relationship was still alive. And when they stopped, that was when they realized that it was over. And I don't think this is Jim giving up on the two of them. This is just him trying to save what's left of Valentine's Day by avoiding further conflict. But thankfully, Pam does step in and says, you know what? I want you to stay and I want us to fight because she is remembering Brian's words too and she doesn't want to let go of this. So even though they're acknowledging that they have problems in their marriage and they're acknowledging that yeah, we are probably going to fight, they're both accepting that it's worth fighting to keep it alive. And so I say that's a step in the right direction.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I'd agree cuz I would imagine that the road to divorce is not usually a big dramatic moment, although it often is, I assume, but it's often small steps of not communicating with each other of choosing to not address issues and stuff like that. And it's just, it becomes habitual farness from each other. You know what I mean? Choosing Mm -hmm. not to be close, choosing to separate yourself and choosing to, to, to not communicate. And so Pam, I think sees that red flag and says, no, like this is uncomfortable and this sucks and we need to deal with it. Let's stay, let's fight. And so she asks him to stay and fight and they agree. He agrees to stay. And they even kind of get to joke about it. He's like, all right, get ready, Beasley, because I'm going to bring my A game or whatever. And, you know, and they kind of joke about it a little bit, which alleviates a lot of their tension. I think probably made the fight better because sometimes you do need to fight and they recognize that. But I think that kind of getting to joke about it ahead of time probably helped them out a lot.
1: Yeah, it probably turned the, the fight into more of a maybe heated discussion at most. Correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that, that's great. I, I'm, I'm glad that they're not letting things go and that they are pushing to maybe talk about things more and not hide things from each other so much. So we'll see that progress as we go into following episodes. But let's talk about the other big stuff that is happening in this episode. Andy is apparently coming back tomorrow. And Aaron says, you know what? I am going to break up with him. He's been rude. He's been selfish. I think he's a big jerk and I'm breaking up with him. And I just wrote, you go girl. (laughs) Like I'm proud to see Aaron so defiant in light of what she's gone through with him these last few months, especially. But even all the drama before he left with the the whole here comes trouble crap and then leaving without her, without even considering her. And then the lack of communication since he's been gone. It's just like he's put her through so much. She deserves to have the right to break up with him. And so I'm glad she's planning on it.
0: And honestly, since they got together, she's grown so much as a person. She's gotten so much more mature. And a lot of that happened during their relationship. And a whole lot of it happened after he left on his trip. And I think it it just looks like she's outgrown him. Especially, as you mentioned, the Here Comes Trouble stuff, where she says, you put up with the things... I'm I'm not quoting verbatim here, but you, you you put up with the things that make you lose respect for somebody, mm-hmm. and that's all right. Then you're done with that relationship. If you don't respect the person, <laughs> you need to leave, right? And so that's where they are. But Andy comes back a day early, and she's not really mentally prepared because she invites Pete on this day to play hooky. Of course, Pete, in a talking head, doesn't believe that Aaron's going to break up with Andy. He says it's sort of like. When you put down your dog and on his last day take him to do all of his favorite things and uh, <laughs> you know go to the park and play catch and sure enough they play catch uh, is that in a talking or is, is that in a deleted scene it is
1: it's mentioned in the episode
0: but it's mentioned yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, Pete is very aware of how of how this is kind of probably go but Aaron swears that she's gonna break up with him and sure enough when Andy gets there she's having trouble doing it because Andy of course, thinks that they're great. They're fine. Oh, sweetheart, I missed you so much. He comes and gives her a hug. He tries to kiss her, and she just martial arts like no high five. Like she avoids him like a master. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's uncomfortable, and he he can sense that. But she's trying to be a great friend and not a girlfriend at this point.
1: He does so much when he first gets there, and when they first realize he's back, he brought her a gift. A pair of bamboo sticks that he claims are musical instruments. I'm really not all that sure that they are, (laughs) to be honest. And he he has something called a guiro, but he calls it a fish. So I don't think he's knowledgeable or knows what he's talking about anyways. Uh, But he says, well, I showed up a day early to surprise Aaron on Valentine's Day. But then Dwight mentions a meeting that he's supposed to have with Wallace later that day. And he says, well, obviously, I'm here for that To, to, to please Aaron, too. Happy Valentine's Day. I love you, sweetheart. But he's really here for the David Wallace thing. So that doesn't make her feel any good. His gift to her isn't any really good. And she spends the rest of the day avoiding showing affection. But she's also not taking any steps to breaking up with him. And she's against telling David that he was gone uh, in order to get him fired, which is a discussion that everybody has together. And so, as you mentioned, Pete really doesn't have any high hopes that the breakup will actually happen. But at the end of the episode, she does confront him. And she says, you know, I don't love you anymore. But I do like you. You're, like, I still want to be friends, I guess, because we still work together. <laughs> is she says, you know, you were gone for a really long time and you didn't email me all that much. She says, you re- retweeted me a lot, to be fair. I, he's just the worst about it, though. He says, I get it. You're unhappy. I've been gone a long time and we lost a little bit of juju. But you and me, we have a future. There is a lot of love here. Aaron says, I just said there isn't love. He says, on your side. But there's tons on my side. It's gushing. We're just out of sync right now. That's just timing. It's timing. I mean, my parents lasted 38, 40 years. They were never happy at the same time. I mean, why is he using his parents as a model for what he wants with Aaron right now? How's your dad doing in Argentina with his not wife right now, Andy? Plus, how, how can he be happy being in a relationship with someone who's only going to be faking her affection for him? He literally tells her to fake her affection. He says, I know you may not be feeling love for me right now, but if you fake it, I won't be able to tell the difference. So I'll still feel good.
0: How glad for you that you'll feel yeah. good. Congrat- well done.
1: How, sa- how is that satisfying in any way for him? It's definitely not going to be satisfying for her. He basically just is not letting her break up with him because he wants to maintain his happiness and is not at all concerned about hers.
0: And as you said, he kind of prohibits her from doing that. She can't break up with him. And so she goes downtown. downtown. She goes downstairs and tells Pete, okay, I couldn't do it. Uh, of course, because she was going to be with Pete. <laughs>
1: That's definitely the implication, at least. Yeah, Yeah, it
0: really sounds like it. Just like he had anticipated, she couldn't break up with him. And he says, look, I just want you to be happy. Whatever that means for you, I want that to be true for you. And she kisses him and runs upstairs and breaks up with Andy. For real. She says, we're breaking up. And just so you know, I was worried that you were dead. You were gone for three months. And she runs out. And good for you. Because he's being not more selfish than he was in the past three months because he was gone for three months, but he is just really being incredibly selfish here. And you, you had mentioned the email thing and like the retweeting. So Andy said that it's okay that David had no idea Andy had been gone for three months because he had stayed in touch the whole time via email. He said, it's not that hard to get Wi-Fi. And Aaron said, he only emailed me four times in three months. He couldn't even be bothered to check in. I thought he was dead. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Incredible. Yep. this is Andy, I think at his lowest.
1: And again, emails, we've said this before, emails are so impersonal, like that is for business. That's why he kept in touch with David Wallace through emails, because it's business. With your girlfriend, you at least make a phone call, make a video chat if you can, but you got to do something other than send a few lines and text only. Like, it's ridiculous. But I love that moment with Pete when she says, you know, I couldn't do it. And he says he, he doesn't react poorly. He knew this was probably going to happen, but he still makes it about her. He says, I just want you to be happy. And yeah, it would make him a heck of a lot happier if he could date this girl he spent these last several months getting to know and forming a relationship with. But what good is that if she's not happy too? And it's that his recognition of her right to happiness as well. That leads Aaron to kissing him for the first time, probably uh, rushing back stairs and breaking up with Andy. And just like the, the cherry on top of the Sunday here is that when she went upstairs and shouted that you were gone for three months, Andy was on speakerphone with David Wallace. And he says, what was that about three months, Andy? And now Andy is trapped into telling the truth. There's no getting out of this.
0: It's, as you said, a cherry on top, because how dare Andy get away with this,
1: <laughs> honestly? Yeah. Like- and we're about to talk about this more, I think, with all the other characters and their interactions with Andy in this episode, because I, I legitimately got pissed at him this time around. Like, I don't... I liked Andy when he was manager most of the time. I-, I liked the efforts that he made, especially back in season eight and maybe the first couple episodes of season nine. Like, he he was trying to be what he signed up for to be the best manager he could be. But now he's just being completely selfish and he's trying to reap the fruits of everybody else's labor. And it's not cool.
0: Yeah. No one really seems happy to see him, but they decide that they can't rat him out to David and they'll just kind of let him do that himself. They invent a bunch of stuff to (laughs) kind of plant the seed in Andy's head in order to let himself rat out himself to david wallace rather than than them doing it themselves so like look we, we don't feel comfortable telling david but maybe we can get andy to you know turn himself in so they tell him that they started selling balloons in addition to paper and that kathy ireland is now the spokes babe of dunder Mifflin, <laughs> and that the warehouse caught on fire while he was gone and everything was basically ruined down there so it looks like that's going to be a problem it looks like when he starts talking to David Wallace in person about, yeah, who knew that the balloon game would be so lucrative and the fire in the warehouse, and he turns that into some sort of metaphor, and David doesn't catch on. He's a little bit distracted, and Andy realizes, of course, that what they've done, and uh, and stops that stops that conversation from progressing any further. I'm going to say, unfortunately, he he caught on to that because that would have been a a pretty great way to uh, to turn himself in, but. <laughs> the way it ended up happening was pretty excellent as well.
1: Dwight was the only one for telling David that Andy's been gone this whole time. And I mean, we haven't really even directly addressed that. How absurd is it that Andy just skips out on work for three months and doesn't tell his boss or like avoids letting his boss know in some capacity. Like that is ridiculous. And thinking that he could get away with it, and that's actually going to be part of my discussion topic. So I'll I'll leave it there for now, but how absurd. Yeah, And Andy's first thing once he shows up is saying, hey, Dwight, uh, awesome job getting the Scranton White pages. That's a big account. It was especially impressive since Jan was in charge. Uh, But, you know, you offered it at a price point that was not approved by the head office. And he's just trying to get Dwight to recognize him as his boss and to stress that, you know, you have to run these things by me because I am your boss. And Dwight says, you were on a boat in the ocean. And when you're in the throes of negotiating like that, how... Is Dwight supposed to get in contact with somebody on a boat via email, and get something approved without waiting forever in a day for approval?
0: Yeah, because this is before he was on mainland. He was on the boat. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's this, no. Wi-Fi. This was
1: literally the episode after he leaves that this right. uh, this took place, and so anyways, because Dwight refuses to say Coolio to appease Andy, Andy calls up Jan, and he says, "Hey, just wanted to say that uh, your contract was with uh, an appro- unapproved price point," and Jan was like not in the mood for Andy. He says, hey, hey, Jan, it's Nard Dog. She goes, oh, Andy, it's you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's, she's not excited about it. And so she exercises the option in her contract to back out within 30 days of signing. So I guess there's like some red tape or something that delayed the actual signing of the contract. I don't know. But it loses Dunder Mifflin and Dwight a whole lot of money, as well as makes Clark's efforts kind of worthless.
0: Nellie refuses to rat on Andy because he gave her a second chance, and mm-hmm. also she refuses because perhaps she wants to uh, preserve their relationship after accidentally maybe making Aaron and Pete fall in love. <laughs> uh, so maybe that's <laughs> don't don't be doubly pissed at Nellie. So so she refuses. Oh, and by the way, Andy also got a bonus check from David Wallace because Scranton uh. had exceeded their uh, their sales targets last quarter. Oh, you know, the quarter, three months, the time that Andy was gone. So Angela has to hand over their his bonus check. And he has the audacity to say, like, hey, I think I'm a little bit behind on my paychecks. Yeah, because you pick him up on Fridays and you've been gone. So here's yeah. three months worth of checks. Have fun. And you're bo- Ugh. Incredible.
1: Yeah. That that's the part where I started to get honestly pissed. I was like, seriously, he gets a bonus check for not doing any work. Oh goodness gracious. Can I have one? Sure <laughs> one. Please. <laughs> what I would love to imagine now that now that Wallace knows, and we'll address the fallout of that revelation in the next episode, I, I really would like for that bonus check to be distributed among everybody who actually mm-hmm. earned and deserved it. But whatever.
0: Because it, it shows that they can do very fine work without a manager,
1: <laughs> yeah, and they've they've done it before. It's not the first time they've shown how capable they are in the face of an absent or incompetent boss. Mm-hmm. So whatever, <laughs> let's talk about one more thing before we get to actual funny moments. Uh, so in the first part of this episode, when they, they think that Andy is coming back the next day and they're trying to celebrate, this is our last bossless day. Let's go out and have fun. It's Valentine's Day and the nail salon offers discounts to couples. And so everyone pairs off to get this Valentine's Day discount. And Oscar says, hey, Daryl, everybody else seems to have paired off. Would you want to pretend to be a couple so that we get the discount, too? And Daryl almost seems offended at first. He says, no. And then he, he sees the camera. He says, I mean sure, that's fine. Well, I can do that. And uh, he's trying not to offend. He's, he's trying to be a nice guy here. And Oscar says, all right, it'll be easy. Don't be nervous. Just follow my... It... Daryl interrupts and says, stop talking about it. I said, I'm fine with it. <laughs> it's, it's funny to see him kind of uneasy about it. He's clearly not comfortable with it. it. It's almost like, you know, challenging my manhood kind of thing. But that makes his reaction when the nail salon says that they don't get a discount because two men aren't a couple, all the better.
0: Yeah. The, um, the older nail salon lady declines them. She says, no, no, it doesn't work. And she makes a, uh, graphic <laughs> analogy with her hands as to why it wouldn't work. And the younger lady comes over and in their language, I, I, I assume she says, no, no, this is a thing. Like two men can be a couple. And, uh. Daryl doesn't want to hear it. He's offended for Oscar and he goes off on the lady and he grabs Oscar's hand and says, this works, this works more than your small mind can comprehend. And he, yeah, he, he grabs Oscar's hand and they storm out. And, uh, he just, he's so offended for gay men everywhere. And I just love it.
1: Yeah. He says, we are crazy in love and we have two disposable incomes and no kids and we're taking our business elsewhere. It's so great. Oh, it's great. Awesome um, moment. Yeah.
0: Quick question before we get to funny moments. It's sort of a character thing. Dwight has started to wear a jacket in the office in recent Mm. episodes. Why do you think that is?
1: I didn't even notice. Yeah, Um,
0: he's been wearing a jacket. Definitely in this episode, and I think the one or two before. I don't
1: know. Do you have a theory?
0: My only thought is that he's kind of, I don't know, Andy's not there, so he's Trying to fill in as manager, perhaps, or... Yeah,
1: I could see that a little bit.
0: You know, or, like, subliminal messaging. I'm I'm the one wearing the jacket. Make me manager. Mm-hmm. But who's there to look? David hasn't been visiting, so... I don't know. It was just something I, I, I noticed in this episode, and uh, I thought I recalled seeing previous jackets. I was just curious.
1: Yeah, I think that's a cool theory that maybe he's just trying to, I mean, he he wasn't technically second in command, but that was Daryl. But Daryl's doing athlete now, so Dwight sees fit to stand up and maybe try and fill that role. And to him, maybe Jacket needs authority, I guess.
0: (laughs) Right, right.
1: Okay, how about uh, you get us started with funny moments?
0: Yeah, so I'll preface by saying I have very few. This might be, personally, the the episode I find the least funny because there's just a lot of drama. So I only have a handful. Uh, There is no cold open. We dive right in. Kevin has a talking head about not wanting Andy to come back. He says, Andy left a carton of milk in the fridge. So I've been sneaking a little bit every day for the past three months. It's been yummy. But now Andy's coming back. So I guess it's goodbye, chunky lemon milk uh kevin go ahead and finish finish up that chunky lemon milk i don't think he's gonna miss it
1: this is a kevin moment i think of often goodbye chunky lemon milk is just too great of a line when the implications <laughs> dawn on you it's like oh ew. really bad and then later uh andy everybody's complaining about andy being back and he says he just waltzes back in here like he owns the chunky lemon milk who needs <laughs> him right <laughs>
0: Oh, he does own the (laughs) chunky lemon milk, but it's, again, I don't think he's going to miss it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he he can dig it out of the trash later if he wants more. Dwight, at the start of the episode, walks into Andy's office and pretends like he's handing over something for Andy to sign, and he he acts both ways he he plays his part as Dwight and then he goes around the desk and he does the whole rick dick do rick dick dick do <laughs> doing that whole Andy impersonation he has a talking head he says I really like Andy these days he's pretend and he does exactly as I tell him to <laughs> all that will change when real Andy comes back tomorrow unless he comes back as pretend Dwight in which case we're in for an epic confusing showdown <laughs> yeah
0: uh, there's an Aaron talking head about how bad she is at breakups. And of course we see that played out exactly here today. Although Andy is making it very difficult on her. She says, I am really, really bad at breakups. Technically I am still dating my first grade boyfriend. I mean, we just had our 20th anniversary and I forgot to get him something. <laughs> but how sweet of her. It, that's kind of awesome that like, yeah. you know, Hey, let's celebrate this thing. We had 20 years ago, very briefly <laughs> every year forever.
1: And for the sake of confirmation, this would place her at around 26 or 27 years of age at this point in time, assuming she was normal first grade age when she was in first grade. Yeah, true. Dwight is, again, trying to get everybody to tell David Wallace about about Andy being absent for three months. And he says, unfortunately, I have a bit of a boy who cried wolf dynamic with David Wallace, except instead of a boy, I'm a man. And instead of a wolf, I cried genetically engineered monster wolf.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Maybe my last one is uh, when Meredith refuses to rat on Andy to David Wallace. She says, Meredith Palmer ain't ever been called no narc. Floozy, yes. Alky, check. Einstein, sarcastically, you bet. But never no narc. Vomit mop, sure. Floor meat. that's me. Bless Hoover. And Pete says, Meredith, that's plenty. All right, that's more than plenty. Why does no one stop her? (laughs) 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 He's like really personally offended by all of these.
1: Andy sings the new girl theme song which i didn't watch new girl until 2018 like early last year and so i was not familiar with the theme song and this reference just went completely over my head until my last couple of rewatches in the last year or a half or so so there's that yeah i just i had no clue i guess i just thought andy was being really obnoxious which i mean he is
0: (laughs) I probably thought the same. I guess I hadn't watched it until after that aired as well. So, yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point.
1: Angela is really excited to go to the nail salon. She says they use a watch repair kit. So, sure enough, they get to the nail salon and there's talk of tiny foot lady returning. And the nail salon just sort of, the, the staff fawns over her. So, Angela's finally found somebody as enamored with her minuscule size as she is. This is sort of the first <laughs> time somebody's just been like, oh, she's so tiny and cute. They love her. And there's an incredibly small blinking, you'll miss it, Angela moment when uh, they're telling Andy all the fake stuff about uh, of what's happened since he's been gone. And when Clark says Kathy Ireland is the new spokesbake for Dunder Mifflin and she'll be topless on the European billboards, Angela's jaw drops like she's just super offended It's yeah. just in the bottom right corner of the screen. I don't know if I'd ever seen that before either. Funny thing. That's the second time we've had Kathy Ireland referenced in the last couple of episodes. Uh, although yeah. the first one was in a deleted scene when Dwight was talk to, talking about hanging a poster in his room or at his house or whatever of Kathy Ireland. But it was flipped over so he could just enjoy the 18 bond paper or whatever bond it was.
0: Right. I wonder what was going on in the writer's room that they like yeah, had to mention Kathy Ireland. Some, probably some joke <laughs> that they had going on that had they just had to throw her in.
1: Andy comes in and he's singing his quote Bembe music and playing with his guiro and he says Yaruba Yaruba and Kevin feels the need to echo him Yaruba Yaruba <laughs> he does that a few times throughout the episode Nelly she says everyone it is our last day here with no manager I say we go to the mini mall Clark you will be my fake boyfriend so I can get the discount Clark says it's what I do and then they're at the salon and Nelly's nail artist person and Nelly start laughing at Clark because they think he looks like a pretty girl without his glasses on. And Nellie takes it a step farther by saying, oh, and you're developing. Maybe next we can go get you a training bra. Clark says, oh, you guys think this is funny? You know what? And he gestures to both of them, no more discount. Excuse me, full price. We're not together. And Nellie says, turns out I can't even be in a pretend relationship. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At least she can have a little bit of humor about her situation, even if it's dark humor.
1: Yeah. And then I guess my last thing to mention is something I briefly said in the last discussion. Her or Meredith's wig this episode is long, blonde and wavy. Yes. So, rocking a new look. The, the first thing that made me think of was like one of the Brady's. Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think they were all like straight haired, but that's the first thing I thought of. It was like, it's really <laughs> not fitting of Meredith's personality.
0: At all. <laughs> Far too elegant. Deleted scenes, a, uh, a downtrodden Nellie tells Stanley and Phyllis that Andy is coming back. Uh, Stanley isn't happy about Andy returning, and, and he says in a talking head, I guess I'll be back to one lunch and one nap a day. I feel like I'm in the service again. <laughs> Which is interesting. So he was in the military. Uh, yeah. All right. And then uh, there's a Phyllis talking head. She says, oh, yeah, with, with Andy away, it's been a lot of fun. In fact, our desk clump has kind of become fun central. We get a little crazy, and we see Phyllis and Stanley tossing a beach ball, and it knocks over Phyllis's thermos. If that's their version of a little crazy, then I like it.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Spilling coffee is a little too far for me.
0: That's true. Why why waste something perfectly good? (laughs) There's a Meredith talking head. She says, I might be alone here, but I'm happy Andy's coming back. You can never have too many ding-dongs on the dance floor. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, we do know what you're saying, Meredith. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thank you
1: for that. Uh, Clark is sitting on the side of Nellie's desk and she asks, why are you loitering about? He says, sorry, it's just that I'm normally sitting at Jim's desk when he's not here, but he's here today. So and Jim asks, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, did you need something? Clark says, yes, I uh, just needed to uh, delete a couple of files. And he reaches over Jim to the computer and just move them to the old recycle bin and just empty that recycle bin and disable the deleted files recovery. And Jim says, I'm not going to look at your files, Clark. And Clark just finishes and restart. All good. What kinds of files do we think these were? Like, mm. they, Were they dirty? Were they just like, yeah, I think they trying were to protect his <laughs> clients? I, I don't know. It's... Mm.
0: They could okay, have been, Clark. like, Jan files. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I didn't think about that till just now. But Oh, no. Yeah, I think they were Jan files. <laughs> there is an addition to Pete's talking head about uh, putting the dog down. He adds, uh, nobody looked at the dog and said, dog, we're going to kill you. Referring to Aaron not telling him that, you know, I- I'm not going to date you. And then we see Aaron and Pete playing frisbee in the parking lot. Uh, The frisbee goes under a car. So Aaron tells him he needs to go get a stick. Go get a stick. Get it out. Go on. And (laughs) it talks very much like like you would talk to a dog. And she whistles at him. Come on, Pete. Go get a stick. (laughs) And then it's back to Pete's talking head. He shows shows us a picture of Darby, his beagle mix. And uh, most of Darby's last day was also spent playing with a stick. And then it's it's back to them playing frisbee. Aaron throws it too far, and it goes in the bushes, and Pete goes to fetch the the frisbee, and he finds a homeless person's stuff in the bushes, and he thinks it's really interesting, and he starts picking it up, and Aaron tells him to drop it. Pete, drop it, drop it. And that stuff's dirty. You're not bringing that back into the office. And uh, he comes back without the frisbee, but Aaron tells him that she'll get it. Stay, Pete. Stay. Stay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all the looks that he gives the camera in this <laughs> and it, in the episode, it, anytime it like lines up with his speech about the dog going to the farm. <sighs> it's so funny. Yeah, it's a great one. Dwight knocks on Andy's office and brings in some things to sign. And Andy says, hey, Dwight, do you know who's been using my office while I've been gone? I, I found a box of beets under the desk. Dwight says, oh, it could be anybody. It's a great snack. Crunchy like an apple, but uh, without all that flavor getting in the way of the texture. <laughs> That's definitely why I eat fruits, is the texture. Ah, the texture. Oof.
0: And nothing like a good beet texture.
1: Ugh, no. There's
0: <laughs> <laughs> an Andy talking head, he says he wanted to show off his sweet Caribbean-y look to the office, which is rough, by the way. Oh my gosh, we didn't talk about <laughs> yeah, how it's, bad it's, he looks when he comes in. It's pretty gross. But David Wallace probably wants him to look a little bit more profesh-magesh, Andy's words. So say adios to the halototes. And he brushes his teeth for probably the first time in, oh, three months. Ugh. And he says it hurts. That's not a good sign. And he puts white strips on his teeth. He says to take 32 choppers to the white power convention. Nope. No. no, Nope. <laughs> nope. Also, good luck getting your teeth white after three months of not brushing with one white strip, but that's fine. Uh, he clips his nails. He says to take Trent razor to these nine-inch nails. He clips his nose hair. Uh, luckily, there's not a bad slogan for that one. And he applies <laughs> cologne. He said, "It's time for a col- uh, a colonoscopy from my good friend Doctor Sylvester Cologne." And he shaved, just as I feared. It's it's time to make this beard disappear. So he's uh, uh, he's he's not my favorite on this episode.
1: <laughs> it seems like Aaron really dodged a bullet if he he has <laughs> not brushed his teeth in three months, and he tried oh, to kiss her.
0: Nope yeah
1: no thank Ugh. you phyllis greets all the nail salon workers by name as they walk by her and stanley getting their manicure stanley just says wow you know all their names phyllis replies no that's the great thing about korean names you just say whatever and the manager then walks up and says hi betty hi leroy and phyllis smiles and stanley just looks confused and i don't think korean names really work like that but
0: yeah they're uh people phyllis <laughs> with names phyllis I mean, Betty. Uh, Daryl, in the last one, looks back at his day in a talking head. He says, wasn't too bad. Oscar bought me lunch. We went to another nail place. The ladies there were much more progressive. Not sure I should have let you talk me into these. And he shows us his nails, which have been painted to look like dice. And Oscar says that it could either be that he's a baller or that he's gay. So it works either way. And (laughs) Daryl says that maybe this is uh, the best way to do Valentine's Day. Fake it. You know, Oscar says that It'd be nice to finally meet the special person that means something to you and you can relax and enjoy the day. And Daryl agrees. And Oscar shows us his nails, unpainted, just buffed, but Daryl got dice. So
1: <laughs> Because this was cut, I don't want to read too much into it, but it is interesting that Oscar says it would be nice to finally meet that special person that means something to you. Mm. Like, does, does that mean something about his relationship with the senator at this point after the last episode? I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it could just be that he's feeling hurt, or it could mean that he's done. I don't
1: know. Discussion topic for this episode. Do you think that Andy told David about any part of this? Like, the plan for the initial 11-day boat trip, even? Like, that was the original plan. I'm going to go to the Bahamas. That's it. I'm coming back. Or any of it. And if not, what do you think led Andy to trying to keep this a secret like do we really think that andy is foolish enough to think he could get away with a three-month absence and keeping it hidden from david
0: i think he really thought he could get away with it yeah because he is so upset with the office when he finds out that they were trying to sabotage him Mm -hmm. he thinks that everyone's on his side and that um you know how how could you do this he thinks that they're all you know such close friends and they don't realize that they're mad at him for abandoning them and the office for 3 months oh while still getting paid oh and getting a bonus check yeah i think he thinks that they're all great they're all fine and why would they rat him out they're friends you know
1: yeah i don't it's just i mean he's lucky that david didn't stop by dunder Mifflin in those 3 months i guess david has <laughs> yeah. other ventures like i don't i don't think that's necessarily far-fetched i think it's just like david's a busy person since he got several million dollars for selling <laughs> Suck It. Second, okay. and okay. uh, <laughs> and so it it's reasonable if he was in contact with Andy and he was in contact with Dwight and things were going well at the business. Like, what what's the need to stop by? But Andy's lucky that he didn't because I mean, how do you explain a boss that's not there? You can maybe do that once or twice, but beyond that, David's going to figure something out. So I think it's awfully bold of Andy to assume that he was going to get away with it. And I guess we're just going to have to see what happens in the next episode in regards to. What David's reaction is going to be, and that, that he knows.
0: Oh, and keeping in mind, we may have mentioned this while he was away, but he seems to have a habit of this, where he disappeared to Florida. That's uh, true. To see Aaron and Robert, California was mad at him. Then you need to get here right now. Well, I can't. I'm in Florida. Okay. Well, you can't just take off from work. Yeah, like, that's you, you a point somebody. that I
1: didn't even think of. Like, and then he did it again. Yeah. You just that's crazy. That rule too was impulsive, not Andy. To yeah. Well, before we close the episode, we want to mention voicemails. Uh, We hate to do this again, guys. Uh, We are going to delay it one more time, but we we said we were going to do this before we even started recording tonight. One, this has been a long episode, too. It's been an hour and a half. Uh, But two, we have several voicemails. In our next episode of the podcast, episode 103, we're only talking about a single episode. Uh, Moving on, which is a longer episode, but it's easier to contain a single episode discussion to a shorter time frame. And so we are going to push all of our voicemails to next episode 100%. That's not going to change. And next episode of the podcast will be moving on and voicemails. So if you want to call in with any more voicemails, uh, we'll be recording a few days or a couple days after we release this episode. And we'd be happy to include a couple more. So definitely leave in your phone calls.
0: Yeah, we we, we want to do these voicemails justice because there are several really good ones and we just wouldn't be doing them justice if we pushed them into this episode. So looking yeah. forward to answering those next week or next time. And that brings us to the end of our official 102nd episode of An American Workplace. You can find us at facebook.com slash workplacepod and at workplacepod on Twitter. If you'd like to head over to Apple Podcasts, that's where you can rate, review, and subscribe. You can also email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com.
1: And if you would like to add to the stack of voicemails, we would love that. Honestly, we really would. Uh, you can dial 93-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329. Uh, call in with funny moments, call in with questions, call in with discussion topics, whatever you want. Just try and keep it under a minute. Make sure you name your name so that we can thank you by name and try and get right to the point so that you are short and sweet and so that we can get right to talking about it.
0: You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white.
1: And the best place for me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is d a d a d a. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And there's my other podcast, Cinescope, wh- which you can find where podcasts can be found and at the com. And show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com.
0: If you want to shout out a more of an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker and bonus episodes, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod.
1: And I just ordered the batch of logo stickers. And so like right now they've, they've already shipped to me and I will hopefully be sending out logo stickers to patron supporters this week. So like right now, right now is your last chance to sign up for our Patreon and uh, get a logo sticker, and we'd love to send those out.
0: That is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 102 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us at episode 103 for our discussion on the next episode of season nine, Moving On, and several of our awesome listeners' voicemails. Bye. Bye.